Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me I have my boy J.O. Chopping it up over the classics yet again here on The Vault. Classic music reviews, of course, you know on The Vault, we have our sayings. Hashtag open the vault. Hashtag nothing but the classics, and that's what we do here on The Vault. Nothing but the classics. We want to make sure, of course, we give a shout out to all of our fans out there interacting with us on social media. We appreciate all the love and support that you give us. And we thank you all for allowing us to do what we do because we do it all for y'all. My boy Jay, glad to have you in here to have us chop it up once again. What's good, bro? Glad to be here. On another edition of The Vault. And we got a good one today because this one is actually a little personal to me because of the topic, what we're talking about and the artists that we're talking about. 25 years ago, this week coming up, we have release of Tupac's third studio album, Me Against the World. Released on March 14th, 1995 on Interscope. Recorded between 1993 and 1994. Producers, laundry list of great producers. Easy B, Johnny J, Tony Pizarro, DJ Felzino, JB, Shock G, Sam Bostic. <laughs> you run through them. It's a lot of different people on here who did some great work on this album. And this one is an album that struck a little bit of a tone considering Tupac and also his discography. This came at a very critical time during Tupac's development. It also came in one of the most turbulent times of his life, his short life, which was cut short almost a year and a half after this album came out. In 1994, Tupac was going through a number of different things. He was uh, going through, well, between 93 and 94, he had a lot of different incidents that he dealt with. One, he was sentenced to 15 days in jail, assaulting uh, Alan Hughes on the set while filming Menace to Society. Of course, everyone's heard about that and his feud with the Hughes brothers. He was also then arrested and then had charges dropped after he shot the two off-duty police officers in Atlanta. And then he was also sentenced to that one and a half to four and a half years of prison, along with two other men for the sexual assault case, of course, as well. And then to top it all off, there was also the shooting at Quad Studios that happened, a famous shooting at Quad Studios, which was referenced actually in the intro of this album as well. So there were a lot of things that Tupac was going into. He recorded this album during these times, and you can see the tone of that reflected in this album. And to me, getting around to this, listening to this album as it came out, and also reflecting on it now, you can definitely see the tone that he takes is striking as compared to some of his other work, especially his later work that um, he had that came out that and also posthumously after his death. So Tupac, Me Against the World on Interscope, March 14th, 1995. And we'll sort of get into it right now and, and sort of to to talk about with this is one of his more positive, rev, positively reviewed albums. Uh, Tupac said that he wanted to make this album particularly because he wanted to show his respect for the culture. And he said, for Me Against the World, it was really to show people that this is an art to me that I do take it like that and whatever mistakes I make, I make out of my own ignorance, not out of the disrespect to music or the art. So me against the world was deep reflective. It was like a blues record. It was down home. It was all my fears, all the things I just couldn't sleep about. 
everything that I thought I was living so well and doing so good that I wanted to explain it. And it took a whole album to get it out. It's explaining my lifestyle, who I am, my upbringing and everything. So you can see the tone that he had into here and reading a lot of the descriptions is exactly the same way that he described it himself. So we'll get into this album to see. And I'll start with you, Jay, just to find out, you know, where you were when you first listened to this album, first hearing it, your first reactions. And then upon listening to it this week, what you uh, think about it, even after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. So back. um, Yeah. So was it early 95? Yeah, I was in I was 13. I was in junior high school. And so I remember pretty vividly, you know, everything that was going on up to that point. Like, I think he was, I think he'd already started the sentence by this point. Yeah, he was already in, already in prison. Yeah, and like, I remember, of course, I remember the shooting at Quad Studios and, like, how that was, because I remember in junior high, we had, like, these TVs in the room for, like, the little news channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about it and then really didn't make the connection to Biggie at that point. But I definitely remember, like, how they were describing, like, how they got, like, 40 G's worth of jewelry off of them mm-hmm. and those details of the case. So when I heard the album, I mean, it was almost like, I don't want to say reality TV per se, but like, you know, you had just heard all the stuff going on and then this album drops like right after that. So you hear all these like in the intro, like, you know, hear all the stuff about like this going on, Pac, that going on, Pac, and they reference the quad studio shooting. It's like, dang, did he like really just like do this and go to the studio right after that? Like, mm-hmm. cause I know he was saying like, I remember like, you know, one of the things he did was he had checked himself out of the hospital, you know, to get out of the, like to get out of it. I don't know if he felt like his life was in danger or I think, he, I think it was like, they were saying like, Haitian Jack was going to come back on him, supposedly. But, like, so, of course, he checked him out. He had to think about his safety. But listen to the album back then, I just felt like it was like, oh, snap. Like, he's really pouring. I think about that now. I think like he's really he's really pouring, like, you know, his emotions and everything into these songs mm-hmm. and really describing what he's going through. Now that I'm listening to it, like, you know, older ears, older mindset, it's like, it was that it was a lot of reference as far as like death on the album. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if I die, if I die tonight, fuck the world, me against the world, like, um, it really made me wonder, like, you know, did he, did he bring that spirit around? Because, you know, a lot of people say if you speak upon death enough, it'll come and, and all like that. will come at your door, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, dang, it's like, I understand he was going through all these things, but, like, could that have been avoided? I mean, yeah, it was a great piece of work, but did it, you know what I'm saying, was it even worth it in the fact that, you no, know, he's not here anymore and we can't get more material out? Because I think, honestly, well, I mean, I know Pac had a lot more to give, you know what I mean? In terms exactly. Of, like, in terms of music, in terms of acting, and probably, honestly, might seem kind of out there, but like being like a real revolutionary, especially when you think about things that are going now. And that's another thing about his albums. Like, you know, it's almost like he could have been here and recorded that yesterday. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, still I, relevant. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy. It's still relevant. This was like 25 years ago. Exactly. 25 yeah. years ago and 24 years ago since his death. You're right. To me, this album is him bearing his soul because I think he knew every, even the title of the album, Me Against the World. Right. Because literally, if you can tell that he had that feeling, but it wasn't me against the world where he felt as though like pretty much what I, I saw and, and you saw in All Eyes on Me and then Machiavelli and any of his posts released from Clinton Correctional Facility, signed with Death Row, things that he could really recorded where he seemed a lot angrier. Yeah. To me, I think to me, he was a little bit more conciliatory, conciliatory and he was a lot more self-reflective in this album. Listening to this 25 years ago, I was in the same space you were. 13 years old, I was in middle school. I was just starting middle school in seventh grade. Tupac was a favorite of mine from listening to both Tupacalypse Now and Strictly For My Niggas. And this was an album I knew he was incarcerated at the time. This is actually the first, I believe, hip-hop album that went platinum and started opened up number one with a, I think, it, I don't even know if it was hip-hop, it may be just music artist, period, mm-hmm. while, they were, while they were incarcerated. And Everyone knows like the the singles on here. Dear Mama, of course, was a huge, huge yeah. hit. 
and it's still a big hit now. But then even seeing the other singles like So Many Tears, which to me is probably in my top five of hip hop of, of Tupac songs all time. Actually, it might be my number two or number number two or number three oh, wow. of all time. And and then to have a song even like Temptations, which was the third one, which the thing I remember about that is with the video for yeah, Temptations because yeah, yeah, of yeah, all yeah. the cameos that were in there. Right. But you hear the tone in this album, and it seems as though, to me, I think this is Tupac at his most honest self. And what I mean by two, uh, most honest self is that listening to All Eyes on Me, Machiavelli, and anything he recorded post Bad Boy, where he was pretty much, you could tell, he was fresh out of prison and he was gunning for every single one of his enemies, and he was angry. That was a different Tupac that we had heard even on what we heard on Strictly For My Niggas and on Tupacalypse Now and on this album. You heard a much more angry Tupac, and you could tell he had been really, really gassed up and sort of like pumped up by Shug and by anybody else in the death row camp to see like, yo, these niggas actually tried to come for you. They tried to kill you, but they failed. They not going to fail. We going to come back and we going to end these niggas on some rap shit and everything. And so... He was a, you could tell that he was a lot angrier. You could tell that he was a lot more forceful. It was a lot more aggressive mm-hmm. on. And to me, I kind of think that being around that death row lifestyle, being around Suge and the type of, you know, whether it was the gang lifestyles with them having bloods around, you know, cause you know, Suge rode ro- ro- with the Pyrus yep. and, and there was a lot of different other things going on. The sort of the, the atmosphere that was going on, people getting their ass beat and, you know, the mm-hmm. parties and everything else that I think that, he was sort of spot, like you said, I even remember reading and he was sort of spiraling out, spiraling out of control. This album to me, when I listen to it is more like what I think Pac was at his core. So that's why to me, and to me, I actually think this is probably my favorite Tupac album, like even more so to all eyes on me and people can sit there and they can make the, the you know, distinction and the comparison between which one is better. This one, or all eyes on me. This one to me is my favorite because I think this is me. This is Tupac and Pac actually at his core what he who he really was and you could hear it in the lyrics yeah you know was, the yeah. revolutionary term the things he talks about when you listen to any one of his interviews whether it was with ed gordon or mtv mm-hmm. the things that he talks about you can hear a lot of that here in this album right and i would say like well, um and nothing against eyes on me but you know like a lot of the a lot of what fueled the album was like the hype that was going on at the time of him being on death row and the whole beef with biggie and bad boy and all like that not saying the tracks were fire they were fire they were but you know, with me against the world, I mean, yeah, there was controversy there, but I don't know. I, th- I feel like it was a distinction between like just riding off the controversy versus Pac just like pouring more emotion into his music. You know what I mean? Like, whereas the the dominating thing with All Eyes on Me was the hype. Yeah, and yeah, California Love was fire. How do you want him was fire? All that, but like, it was like, oh, is he gonna say something about Biggie? Gonna talk about this person? Gonna talk about that person? Yeah, making dope music in the meantime, but like, it was just always that. It was always that element that was kind of like fueling, like you know, people buying those records. At least with all eyes on me. So, Indeed. with this one, it was more so. It was more so artistic, artistic, art- artistically like um, appealing. I would say, and it was. Yes, yeah, so. it was aesthetically pleasing. It was the difference between. To me, this is a pa- this is a painting of like a beautiful landscape. Well, it was the of an aesthetically pleasing landscape versus the painting of like a of a war scene, which mm-hmm. is what I think all eyes on me was. Yeah, and. That's why I think I appreciate this more anything else about listening to the lyrics and hearing things. When you listen to Pac's music, it's not the so more so the music that you hear in the background. It's the words that are being said and the right. stories and the and the message that is being projected as well. So that's why I think I, I and listening to it now, being almost 40 years old and understanding a lot of the story now behind the scenes, what was going on. Mm-hmm. 
I think this even makes it much more prevalent to me what he was trying to portray in this album, considering all the things that were going on in his life at that particular time, which was a lot and would have broken a lot of people actually. Yeah, definitely. So getting shot and going to jail right after that. And then going to jail and dealing with being in a movie where he was beefing with the directors and he had a different philosophy on things and the way things needed to be done. And he had shot two cops and saved a brother from pretty much possibly losing his life. Right. And it's it's funny because I remember I actually watched an interview with MCA the other day talking about like it was going to more in the details as far as like the whole Hughes brother situation, yeah, basically because like um, if anybody didn't know, he was actually he was supposed to play Sharif, Sharif, yeah, and then like apparently like you no, know, he he had already worked with the Hughes brothers before before Menace came out, and like apparently like you know they didn't really clash because they was like Pac could be real hard to deal with, yeah. So like they were going to New Line Cinema. This is how eight was explained like you know as far as like getting the finance for the movie, and like New Line Cinema wanted Pac in the movie. It was like okay. He got this hype going on right now because you know he was already acting up to that point. But it was like, all right, y'all already got a relationship with him. So you want the movie? Y'all, y'all want to make this movie? Y'all need to put him in there. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, you know, they made the part. They was like, all right, if he got to be in the movies, it's, it's not gonna be a part he's gonna enjoy. Yeah. So he was giving them all kinds of grief. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. throughout the whole process, like why am I? Why am I the voice of reason? Because mm-hmm. you know, yeah, O Dog out there banging wax out there banging Kane yeah. out there banging. The street. But it's like, why is Sharif the voice of uh, reason? Like what? happened why not explain the backstory as far as like what made him the way he is as far as like being the muslim and everything like that and they weren't they weren't trying to do all trying that to do all that yeah so pretty much pocketing up quitting and yeah that's when they got the go the guy Vontae sweet to play sharif sharif yeah he did a good job don't get me wrong i mean mm-hmm. but i just i mean i do feel what Pac was saying as far as like you know explaining that backstory to why sharif was the way he was as opposed mm-hmm. to say he was ex-knucklehead turned muslim turned muslim yeah but um yeah, so I just thought that was an interesting story as far as like you know mm-hmm. the, the Hughes brothers kind of playing chess in that situation, like and, they, yeah, and got him out of there, so. got him out of there, and he ended up assaulting Allen Hughes and then ended up doing some jail time for it as a result of it. But so we'll get into me against the world, some of your highlights and any lowlights at all, and things you appreciate more so now that your your highlights on the album on the, the track list in here, fifteen tracks by the way, runtime of sixty six minutes and seven seconds. Like you know, like it was a lot of tracks. It was like talking about like death and everything like that like I, like I was describing earlier I mean yeah so If I Die Tonight I was rocking with that one the actual title track Me Against the World uh, So Many Tears Dear Mom of course we love those but then Young Niggas was a good one for me cause yeah like, it impressed me with Pac back then he was talking about um, Robert Yumby Sandifer if you know about that case in Chicago yeah where he was like just to give a backstory he was an 11 year old member of the Black Disciples and he mm. was already on that gang banging tip yeah, and um, I mean, basically, what led to his demise, mind you, eleven years old, and 11. this is back, and this is back in the nineties. So anybody think that tells you stuff is worse now than it was back then doesn't know what they're talking about because yeah, the nineties was crazy. Matter of fact, in Chicago, like early nineties, like for a few consecutive years, the murder rate was just under a thousand murders, like just under a thousand. <laughs> crazy, which is crazy. Man. So basically, with Yummy, you know, one of his older gang members, like leaders, whatever, told him like start busting at, at some enemies. And in the process, you know, he starts shooting his gun and ends up killing this 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So it's already hot for him. And then, like, you know, to kind of hide him out because, like, well, his gang was escaping to snitch him out. So mm-hmm. his gang dispatched two members supposedly to, quote-unquote, get him out of town. But they took him to one, one location and shot him in the back of the head and took him out. Mind you, 11 years old. So 11 years old. So Pac was talking about that. In interviews, I saw a picture of, like, you know what I mean? Because the only, only picture I think he only had him was, like, a mug shot because he had been through so much abuse, uh, even up to age 11. Wow. So, yeah, Pac was talking about, like, you know, this is dedicated to Robbie Yummy Sanford and all the young niggas trying to live that fast life, like, basically like, as a deterrent. So I just thought it was good that, you know, him as an artist using this platform to talk about social issues and things that are current because – 
That case was pretty big. I remember it was actually on the front cover of Time Magazine in 94. In 94, I remember yeah. reading the joint, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, like, and it was crazy in 94 because I actually remember somebody I knew or I knew of, like, at 13, it just got killed, like, more locally. This was, like, uptown D.C., but, you know what I'm saying? It just showed you how crazy stuff was back then. Yeah. So, like, it kind of connected on that personal level and, you know, like, it wasn't just some story you heard about there. It was, like, happening in our communities, too. In communities, yeah. So, like, for him to talk about that, I thought that was really big. He wasn't, like, you know, just, like, putting that gangster bravado on and just, like, talking about whatever. He was actually talking about things, spreading awareness. Yeah. So that's why that's one of my favorite tracks. And the other one for me was um on a bit of a lighter note, but, like, um and kind of, like, you know, basically explaining a little bit, a little about Pac's background, old school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was, like, reminiscing about, you know, actually life in New York. That's why I keep yeah. telling people Pac is originally from New York City. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, his first rap name was MC New York. MC New York, right. <laughs> so he was talking about, you know, how people were scared, like, to say if they were from anywhere else but Brooklyn and yeah. just, like, talking about growing up and everything like that. So I just thought that was a good track and something that anybody can relate to. Maybe you didn't grow up with those circumstances where you grew up, but, I mean, eventually, God willing, you're going to get older. You're going to reminisce about the good old times and stuff you grew up, you grew up with and everything like that. And mm-hmm. So I just thought that was a good record you know as far as like like lighting the mood i mean in the midst of everything so mm-hmm. um any low points on the album i don't, I don't want to say it was a low point but like i mean i thought the track was dope like the drink can you get away yeah you know what i'm saying pop trying to be on some like yeah. scandalous type stuff you know what i'm saying Basically, like yeah exactly i wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say it's low point it was like dang how you rolling like that like yeah. <laughs> nah man but i i, I feel you yeah my highlights, I would have to say, I mean, I loved If I Die Tonight, and I loved the the alliteration he used in there as well with, um, you know, the lyrics that he was spitting and uh, he was spitting in If I Die Tonight, like polishing pistols, prepare for battle, past the pump. Yeah. Pussy and paper is poetry, power and pistols. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. um, a really, really good message in that one as well. Uh, of course, I already told you all about Me Against the World. The title track is great, too. Uh, so many tears, which I said is in my top five of pop tracks of all time. Temptations, uh, young niggas, I think had a great like you mentioned the whole thing about um, you know the situation in the beginning of the song. He mentioned and as well at the at the end of it, a good story as he tells throughout it. But then he also tells at the end of it about you know some of the young cats in the game, like yo man, you could do this instead of trying to be a drug dealer, you could be an accountant, right. a lawyer, or something like that. Man, don't be out here, you know, out here in these streets. Yeah, Lord knows, um, dear mama, of course. Old school, I thought was great, and I think you you bring up a really really good point is the fact that you know everyone sort of gets into this mode. Everyone will say, okay, you know, well, you know, Pox a West Coast, West Coast MC is a West Coast MC is a West Coast MC. But I like I like to tell people, everyone, no one likes it when I tell them this, but it's like, yo, you y'all do know that up until age 14, Pac lived in New York. And then he spent his high school years mostly in Baltimore and then right. finished high school in California. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so about 17 out of 18 years he spent in East Coast cities, and he spent a big part of his portion. And the thing I love about old school is that he says, you know, he's paying homage to all the old school raps, you know, Run DMC, LL Cool J, he's, you know, uh, Cool Mo D. He talks about Public Enemy. You can hear him, especially when he's saying at the end of that song, he's talking about stick ball, stick ball mm-hmm. which is uh, which is which is distinctly a New York thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Played in the played in the boroughs in New York, talking about being at parties, you know, and somebody saying they not. You know, the Brooklyn dudes was always being there crazy. And I know people would be scared to, to say they was from anywhere else but, but from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Right. You know, it, it was to me, I think, an old for him to be able to say. And I think it goes back to basically the Tupac and his roots, which you know, that people have to remember that he grew up his life in New York and he spent time. He said he used to go 
And he said he used to freestyle with cats, you know, on the on to get on the subway and go, you know, and, and freestyle with cats from Brooklyn and in Harlem and things of that nature. He grew up in East Harlem. Right. So, you know, it's a really, really good ode to the old school and to the beginnings of rap and to his origin and to his roots. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc uh fuck the world of course and death around the corner was another one but you know and then there was also when not a lot of uh of guest spots on there, but you know there was drama side of the course from the from the outlaws that were on here, mm-hmm. and then Richie Rich on heavy in the game right. was on there as well. I don't really have a whole lot of low lights. I mean, I do think like I said, can you get away with <laughs> sort of like you say, Pot was <laughs> on his, you know, yeah. like literally some people will probably say that Pot was trying to save him on that <laughs> one. So I think he definitely was. On his, like, you know, trying to save him. And supposedly the lady he was talking to, she was getting beat up by our boyfriend and everything. But he was like, yo, yeah. man, instead of we can go to Paris, instead of you going to the emergency room and getting mm-hmm. stitches and everything, you know. So, but, and to me, like I said, I, I love the switch up on this album between introspective and then you have fun, like you said, on tracks like Can You Get Away and then Temptations as well, which um, Temptations produced by Easy Mo B, just like If I Die Tonight was produced by Easy Mo B as well. Not really a lot of lowlights on here for me because I think this was a well-balanced album. And again, I think the message is really what gets what you get from out of this because you heard that introspectum. It was sort of like, I saw that written about this album. They said that what you get on this album from Tupac is you get a, a conflicting psyche about his 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 uh, his philosophy on life and his past wrongs. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really starting to come into focus based on the fact that he was getting ready to head to prison and with all the troubles he was going through in his life and the fact that he almost lost his life right. and probably should have lost his life considering the injuries that he had. But, you know, it, you can see that, that balance of pretty much the conflict within his soul between you know, the life that he sort of lived to, to what people thought he was to who he really was. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely see that, see that present. So we'll get no, notable quotables. And whenever you're dealing with Tupac, there are always notable quotables. And so I'll go ahead and start with you, Jay, see what you got as far as notable quotables. There's a ton of more, ton of them on this album, considering the subject matters, but let's see what you got. Actually, we'll let you start. I mean, so I sure. put these up. So no, nah, that's no problem. That's fine. So, I would definitely have to say, for me, it's so many tears. The last verse that he says, of course, on so many tears, Lord knows I tried, been a witness to homicide, seen drive-bys taking lives, little kids die. Wonder why the walk by, broken, walk by, broken-hearted as I glance at this chalk line getting high. This ain't the life for me. I want to change, but ain't no future right for me. I'm stuck in the game. I'm trapped inside a maze. See, this tangerine influenced me in getting crazy, disillusioned lately. 
I'm really wanting babies so I can see a part of me that what is always shady. Don't trust my lady because she's a product of this poison. I'm hearing noises. Thinks she fucking on my boys. I can take no more. I'm falling to the floor. Begging for the Lord to let me in the heaven's door. Shed so many tears. Like, mm-hmm. that's just, um. again, I, I really love, and I love the, the production on this, on so many tears, which was done by D. Felzino Production Squad, Shock G. You know, Shock G did a couple of tracks on here. Also did Fuck the World. But that beat with so many tears to me, just that haunting. Every time I hear that song, I think about Pac and his death. Because, like, I immediately go there to thinking about Pac and his death. But that, um... um, Even the video, you know what I mean? How it's like the three youngest standing in the morgue. In the morgue, I guess every bar, every verse, like, you know, one would disappear. Then the last one, it would just be like the doors for the, like, you know, but they have the, um recent deceased, whatever, like it would just be mm-hmm. empty. So like, mm-hmm. It was just like that vivid and Yeah. Exactly. Nah, yeah, it is. So the, those were those were mine. And of course I always also loved the, you know, of course, the If I Die Tonight verses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the verse when he said they say pussy and paper is poetry, power on pistols, plotting the motherfuckers for to get you. Picture and pitiful punk niggas copping please. Puffing weed as I position myself to clock G's. My enemies scatter in suicidal situations, never to witness witnesses that they was facing. It's just you get those powerful, hard hitting to hit you in your chest bars that you get with pop, man. And when you get something like that, you always know there's a message behind of it. Cause he's all cause at his heart he was a poet and he wrote poetry. So whenever you get bars, you're gonna get meaningful, hard hitting, powerful bars that hit you in your soul. It's like um so as far as me it's got to be um mine mine comes from young niggas, I mean even the intro but he like I said we dedicated Robbie Young Yummy Santa and all other little young niggas didn't rush to be gangsters. He was like, as a young nigga I'm almost running in the wind. Give anything to be that innocent again. When I was ten I didn't bang but was hanging with the homies till the niggas started slanging. Now they don't know me. I got my hustle on. Learned a noble couldn't pay me. They lately been trying to make a million. Can you blame me? So like. Mm-hmm. I put him in that mind frame as far as like uh, what is, yeah with that jealousy need to miss me I don't and don't sweat me if the cows really want me come and get me so like yeah I mean just like that young mentality you know, like, like young trying to get into the game and do things they probably shouldn't well they shouldn't be doing I probably but they shouldn't be doing yeah be my quota ball for that and pretty much I mean of course like dear mama that, with that just being such a classic track and like uh-huh. really like talking about no like I mean him and his mother growing up in the conflict and. You know, of course, and of course, if you saw the video, you know what I mean? It was just more vivid when his mom was talking about the God rest of you, Shakur's soul. So. Exactly, yeah. And, like, the fact he was almost born in jail. I mean, even his story, like, from birth, like, you know, was just yeah. amazing. Like, the amazing. fact he was a Black Panther, and, I mean, he had that revolutionary spirit with him. So that's why I say, like, you know, if he was still here, he probably would be in, like, politics or something, like, really shaking things up. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe even on a Dr. King or Malcolm X level, because, I mean, if you heard some of his speeches, like, during, like, these type of meetings. I mean, he was really fired up and really passionate. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing that I like about with him is that when you hear those interviews with pop, particularly the ones you heard, there were many different Tupac interviews. And if you watched resurrection, which is the Tupac documentary, mm-hmm. um, though, there's a famous one that he did with BT's Ed Gordon. There was another one he did. I believe it was, I don't know if it was with um, Serena Outshaw or someone from MTV um, he did a lot of different interviews that you can kind of hear. And if you see those interviews, you can tell, all right, this is not just your average dude who's sort of out here rapping that you think is uneducated, you know, like Pac would even say his mother, when he would get into trouble, his punishment would be 
reading the, she would make him read the newspaper. And when he was done, he would have to sit there and give her a full report and everything that he read. And being as though the fact that Afeni was a, a black Panther, the fact that his stepfather also was a black Panther mm-hmm. and his stepfather did a great, did uh, had a big role in sort of shaping him as a young man. And that mentality of pretty much what he read, like I remember hearing so many different things that he talks about change and being able to inspire change. Like what the end game for him was not just, records and making money and having millions to him it was about being able to inflect change and for me you could tell he was a different type of dude in the industry because i remember i don't remember which interview this was where he talked about some he said well you know it's sort of different you could tell like the be growing up with a different 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 generation raising him he said you know my generation not really in so many words, he said, my generation not really about that life because if we really wanted some change, we'd have, you know, we'd be tearing some shit down. He said, but my generation ain't going to do that because we a bunch of cowards, mm-hmm. you know? And coming from a generation that was raised by Panthers, you know, you yeah. could definitely understand and see where he got that revolutionary attitude where they were willing to take and go at extremes to be able to change things right. and be able to see exactly the type of change and things they needed to do. Growing up, not just in New York, in a place like Harlem, but then also growing up in a place like Baltimore mm-hmm. and then coming over and growing up in the Bay in Oakland to be able to see the type of things that ill that the ills of these black communities, mm-hmm. especially in those deep inner cities, to see the things that sort of change, you know, the things that are necessary in order to be able to for things to get to get for change to take place, right. for effective change to take place. So you knew when you listened to those interviews, you knew exactly the type of t- type of dude you were dealing with. Yeah, and plus, like, the fact, like, I want to say probably by the time he got to the Bay, like, you know, his mother was dealing with drugs and yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So to get all those aspects as far as, like, you know, and not even just seeing and living in those underserviced areas, but, like, you know, it was affecting his personal household, too. So, yeah. you know, it definitely, like, took a, it took a toll as far as, like, shaping his mind and why he was the way he was. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again... To me, I think one of the big things is that what I love about Pac and what I love about this album is that we talk about like MCs, right? We, t- we You and I have talked about it before, mm-hmm. is that rappers being able to pick their beats. And we always say that, you know, some rappers can pick them better than another. Right. And most famously, we always say that Nas is a great MC, but when it comes to him picking beats and production, he's probably mm-hmm. one of the nah. worst out there to do it. Like yeah. I would always say that if he was better at picking beats, it would be almost unrivaled where his standing would be in the rap game right now. It's still unrivaled but the fact that goodness if you could just learn how to pick beats on half of these albums my nigga like my goodness one of the great things about this with the label and also with Pac the producers that he worked with did a great job of being able to fix his style and that's evident on almost every Tupac album you can see especially with this one all eyes on me as well and you see the producers he working with Easy Moby we know his work well Shock G did some great stuff on here you see of course uh, Mosey MD, Mike Mosley, Tony Pizarro, all these different hip hop producers that knew exactly the type of beats that Pac needed in order to be able to do well. And it's like, this is another album where the beats sort of fit mm-hmm. what it was that he needed to do. And you see that with every Tupac album that he recorded while he was alive is that the production always fit whatever he did well. And that is, I think, to me, what makes Tupac's work even stand out even better because the words are there, but then the beats to be able to have the soundtrack underneath of it to be able to be able to match what the, what the words are putting out. Yeah, definitely. Like it was like really, it, they really complemented each other. You know, they what I mean? did. So. They complemented each other well, indeed. And this is his third album. To me, this is my like I said, my favorite Tupac album. I think this is to me at, at him at his truest form. Uh, I do think once you get into those right after those post death row years, if you get into All Eyes on Me and Machiavelli, I do think 
that that was a lot of that was being pumped up by the conflict that was, you know, between him and a number of different rappers and also labels as well. Definitely with the Machiavelli album. And definitely with the, yeah. From from the beginning skit of that joint until Against All Odds. I mean, it pretty much was just like Venom. Straight out of Salt. Yeah, Yeah. straight out of Salt and Venom. And it was interesting that, well, not interesting, because it was a strategic move for Death Row to put that out after he died. And he was supposed to, you know, it was supposed to come out, but they put that out. Same year as all eyes, it's all eyes on me to capitalize really on his death. But um, when you get into the later things that were released afterwards, you start to see as he was looking to probably separate himself from death row, as it's mm-hmm. been reported, you see a lot more what you hear on this album and also on Strictly for My Niggas and Tupacalypse. Like he was almost Pac again, mm-hmm. you know, like you, this, was that, this is the Pac that you're expecting to get. But this was a good start for it. And to me, I think this was him in this truest form. So now we get to the ultimate test, the test of the time to see what kind of classic it is. And we're going to go ahead and give our verdict. So, Jay, I'll give it to you. Is this a certified classic? Is it borderline or is it just in its time? I'm saying certified classic, bro. <laughs> yeah. For real. Like, because I mean, like, one, the production and the lyricism complement each other so well. And then just the fact that, I mean, and it's kind of sad in the sense that it's still relevant 25 years later. You know, it's like, I mean, just that genius of it as far as, like, you know, not not trying to get something out there for the moment. You know, it's still it's something that's still relevant. Yeah, I mean, definitely certified classic. I mean, I think I'd be, I, I think I I think I find, like, a, it's kind of strange. I find I would find a little weird satisfaction if the fact, like, you know, his songs weren't relevant anymore. But the fact it is still relevant, I mean, just, like, just, just really speaks to his genius, you know what I mean, as far as, like, putting that stuff out there for the people and really conveying a message that, could span across generations and decades so and it's most certainly doing that so yeah i would say classic yeah certified classic for me as well like i said this is my favorite album by him it is me i think him bearing his soul the conflict the introspection the emotion the vulnerability that you hear in this is tupac at his truest self and the production complements the lyrics well the lyrics tell a story of a tumultuous two years that he went through that could have broken a lot of people down. And what it did was sort of show that even while he was incarcerated, it still showed that Tupac was an A-list rap star. And seeing how well he did, I thought this was the impetus for Death Row wanting to get him out on bail to get him to produce an album for Death Row, which for me, Death Row was already a big album, was already a big label. When Pac joined Death Row, he took it to another level. And this was sort of the springboard from him from this one into All Eyes on Me, which we all know about that. Right. I mean, pretty much he became a superstar at that point. I mean, he was already a star, but probably the biggest name in rap at that point. Exactly. And uh, it was funny. Like, man, I had to kind of check somebody out the other day because, like, that obviously is not of hip hop, does not know of the culture, like, about the culture, but thinking that, you know, Pac was just, he was still around, he'd just be another rapper. There wouldn't be all this hype about him, which is a damn lie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I had to educate him like people. Yeah, like I had to him like, dude, Pac was highly revered. He was still living. Exactly. He was in many conversations. I mean, and, and already accomplished so much in his career doing music. And I think he had like maybe what four or five movies out by that by 1996. So exactly. It was like, he was already a star. You know what I mean? And by the time like September '96 came around, he was already a mega star. Like right, exactly. I think he probably surpassed Snoop at that point. Really? So oh, without a doubt. And not only that, but he became immortalized in his death. And the yeah. way that he perished is the fact that and his message that still rings on afterwards. I mean, 
there are statues of him, even the one that everybody clowns on, which right, it looks right. like, I don't know, that might be Tupac's uncle or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but there are murals of him everywhere. He's respected all around the world. And the fact that they study his lyrics in college courses now. That's, that's crazy. You know, man. like you can, who, who can you say that nowadays other than Kendrick Lamar, mm-hmm. that you say they're going to sit there and study his lyrics now after years after he's gone and they have classes in Harvard about him. You know, like that's when you talk legendary. Legend, yeah, legendary. And I don't know where they get these these folks nowadays that just seem to think, oh, if Big Biggie and Tupac were still around, oh, they were still, you know, they just be other rappers now. First wow. of all, if Pac and Biggie were still around, Sean Carter might not be who he is today. Thank you. I've, I've especially made that point, like even like people in my circle, as far as like, I don't think. Jay Z would big, be as big as he is if Biggie was still living. I think he would be a big star. Yeah, but I don't think with those two, I don't think he would be as big as he is today. Definitely not. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I don't think that's an opinion. I think that's a fact. I mean, that, okay, that is my opinion. But I think that opinion rings true with a lot of different people who have been around in that era that know how big Pac and Biggie were, that this is how big these guys were and then been immortalized in their death. So they, no, they would not just be rappers, just simple rappers. Now, I will say this. I do think. I do think Life After Death probably wouldn't have performed as well had Biggie still been living. I will no. say that much. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. You know what I mean? But, like, he would still be a huge star as far as, like, his impact, even with the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, had he had he survived after, even after Pac's demise, you know, I still think he would be up there. Like, I mean, it, it wouldn't have created that lane for Jay-Z to come in and do what he did. Mm-hmm. Not saying he didn't work hard, not saying the man isn't talented. He is. But, I mean, and the, again, with your point about Pac being around, like, yeah, he would. Yeah, Pac would definitely be have be on a higher tier than Jay Z as far as stardom. If we're gonna look at it from that point, like, because I said, like, Pac had, you know, what I'm saying all the albums and like all the movies he was doing, movies. and then like the controversy and like, I really think Pac would be involved in in, in politics now. In if politics, he was still, yeah, like, he would be bigger than rap at this yeah, point. Absolutely, he would be bigger than hip hop. It would be. So, you know, I saw something on Twitter the other like a few months back, and it still rings true to me today. And somebody says, if only Biggie and Pac could have talked in the hospital, we might be in a different place right now. Mm. And I and I think I'll just go ahead and end that on end that end that on that because if only they could have talked in the hospital, we might be in a different place right now. Tupac's "Me Against the World" released in 1995, 25 years ago, coming up right now. Make sure that you go and check it out if you love and call yourself a Tupac fan. Have a listen to this album. Please go listen to it because a lot of y'all have the recency bias of listening to Pac from All Eyes on Me and everything afterwards. Make sure you go check this out because to me, I think this is arguably his best and most true album, at least true to himself. So go check it out anywhere where you can get music. It is a classic without a shadow of a doubt. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host, Podbean, vaultcmr.podbean.com. You can also get to our link tree and all of our social media pages. You can check us out on YouTube and Facebook, searching The Vault Classic Music Reviews. We are there. You can also get us on Twitter as well, at Vault Classic. You can get us on Instagram, on Vault CMR Podcast, and you can get myself on Instagram, at its lesson and IV Creative, I V E C R E 8. That's I V E C R E 8. Please continue to interact with us on social media. We love to hear all the feedback and love to hear you see your interaction and your comments about the show. We love to do it all and we do it for you. We appreciate all the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure you tell that friend to tell a friend. 
Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.